Hi, thank you so much for choosing our workshop. I just have a couple questions for you. Um, how many of you have lived in a different country? Uh, how many of you have lived over a year in a different country? Uh, how many of you have lived in a country where the alphabet is different? It's not French, not English. So you see the, the signs and it looks different. Yeah, okay, so hopefully you will be able to relate to some of the things we're going to go through. Okay, yeah. Good, and I, I think I want to ask a quick question. Um, how many people here are from outside of Winnipeg? You've come in from another city or province or state. Yeah, great, wonderful. That's fabulous. I think that's more than 50%. Good. All right. So Ira and I and Alex, we all go to this church, Panet, uh, Gateway Panet. Mm-hmm. All right. So, um, Ira, we don't have a place to sit for this oh, interview. Do you want to sit? Would you like to sit? No, you sit. I'll stand. How's that sure? Sure. All right. So I've given you a little bit of a handout to take with you, if you like. And it gives you, I want to give you two different definitions of what cultural adjustment or culture shock is. The one you've got says culture shock is the feeling of uncertainty, confusion, or anxiety that people experience when visiting, doing business, or living in a society that is different from their own. Social norms can vary significantly across countries or in regions. Culture shock can arise from an individual's unfamiliarity with local customs, language, and acceptable behavior. Culture shock results from encountering different ways of doing things and having your own ways of doing things challenged, I would add. Being cut off from behavioral clues, cues, having your own values brought into question and feeling you don't know the rules. Okay? And another really great definition that Ira particularly likes, so it must she must relate well to it, is you read it. Oh I read it. Culture shock is the stress reaction that often accompanies an international relocation. It arises because many of the unwritten codes, assumptions, and expectations are not the same as they are back home. This can be stressful, even if you are not aware of what is happening. Yeah. And I just want to add something real quick there. And that's my experience in working with immigrants and former refugees is that often people don't understand what's happening to them. And just learning and being aware and giving them the language to understand can be a a big help in itself. You would agree with that. Good. (laughs) You're allowed to disagree, but... (laughs) All right. Um, So you know a little bit what culture shock is. What it isn't is when you go to another country, let's say for a two-week vacation, and you feel that immediate, ooh, a little bit overwhelmed by not being able to speak the language or something, that's not really culture shock. Okay, culture shock generally is a process, it's a journey that people travel through over two to three years, actually. And, and to some degree, a lot of people will say that an immigrant who, who goes to another country uh, will continue to experience a level of cultural stress forever, basically. And, and they'll think they're just fine, they're truly Canadian, and then something will happen that shocks them and they're, and they're set back into this sense of unease, I don't belong. You know, so this is normal. I also want to tell you that it isn't true that Christians don't go through culture shock. It's not. A, it's not a reflection on how strong someone's faith is. Um, they go through the questioning. It may even affect their relationship with the Lord for a while. Um, that that is true. Um, and in my again in my life experience, um, 
there are certain variables that will affect how quickly people enter culture shock and how difficult it is. So not everybody has the same experience, right? These are general stages that people go through. You'll see them on your paper there. Um, but uh, families, for example, with young children would generally have a much harder time. And I think Walter would probably attest to that. Um, single, a single adult who's coming to Canada to study at university will probably have some level of culture shock, but it probably won't be as intense or, um, or last as long. So um, people who are older generally have a hard time. I think that's for obvious reasons. It's harder to, to gain new language and all the other things that go with that. Um, so the four stages are, again on your paper, the honeymoon phase, the frustration phase. This is what a lot of people refer to as culture shock, is that frustration phase. And it can be really, it can be quite severe. Um, adjustment and adaptation. And then there's another stage that some people talk about, and that's called re-entry. So this would affect people who are going to work overseas for a period of time, uh, either, let's say, as missionaries or or just as expat employees or international students, when they go back to their home culture again, they find they don't really quite fit in either. Reverse culture. <laughs> yeah, it's called reverse culture shock. So that's kind of a fifth part of it. Hi. Uh, that's okay, it's all good. <laughs> um, so, but we're going to focus on the four stages the honeymoon, frustration, adjustment, and adaptation. Okay, Vera. Yep. Let's talk. Let's talk something. Okay. <laughs> good. I'm good. So can you tell us a little bit about yourself, just to introduce who you are, uh, your family life, where you come from, just so they get an idea of who you are. So my name is Ira. I come from Russia, far eastern part. So Russia is big. So if you look at the, on the map, this part, close to China and Japan. So one hour to Japan, one hour to China, one hour to North Korea. So that Asian part. Um, I came to Canada in 2015 in March, mm -hmm. so it's been four years and a half with my husband and a daughter. We have two daughters, one is adopted, she's not in Canada because she's older, and we came as economic immigrants. We were not refugees, it was our choice to, to leave our country behind, to say goodbye to everybody that we know, to everything that we know, to our credentials, degrees, our stability, it was our choice. There was no war, no um, persecution. Uh, we came here because we wanted a different society and Canadian society is the best. That's why we are here. Mm -hmm. um, we both have a university education. I am a linguist, English and German are the best languages in the world. And uh, <laughs> my husband is an oceanographer engineer and he worked as a computer IT genius. Well, <laughs> our daughter goes to King's School now. This school. Very good. Thank you, Eric. That's great. And something you sort of alluded to, but I want to go a little further with that. Sure. Is um, in my experience, immigrants give up an awful lot when they come to mm -hmm. Canada, and sometimes Canadians don't quite get that. They assume that they're all sort of escaping persecution or, or a poor life, mm -hmm. but actually a lot of them are giving up a very high, much higher lifestyle than they can have in Canada, or yeah. that any of us have in Canada. Yeah, you're right. So when yeah. we lived in Russia, we had our own condo, we were comfortable, uh, we had a job, 
I did not have to work, but I worked because I loved my job. My husband was making enough. He was self-employed. He can attest to that. So we had family, friends, church, ministry, relatives. Everything was comfortable. So comfortable to a certain degree. You cannot choose your country, right? So when we came to Canada, we <coughs> did not have a, a condo, a stable job. Uh, we did not know anybody. And um, just imagine that you had a fire last night, and everybody you know died, and all your possessions, maybe there is some money in the bank, and you have to leave Winnipeg to leave. You have to go outside of Winnipeg and never come back, or Steinbeck, or whatever you come from, right? Um, and probably will never see those people, those streets, those places where you grew up. You will never see your job your surroundings, you will have to start from ground zero. Uproot yourself, reduce your life to a suitcase, put all you have in a suitcase, goodbye, never again, and just burn all the bridges and move to a new place. But that's a choice. We were not refugees, so Sally sort of pointed it out. It's a big difference. Maybe Alex wants to add. Yeah, a few things. Uh, just to clarify, we owned our condo, means we didn't pay mortgage, it was ours. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> and uh, talking about this uh, <clears throat> burning bridges, yeah, um, basically we came here with uh, five suitcases. Like it was three people. everything, like uh, we didn't take our home and brought it here, right? Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's basically like, uh, like a fire. <laughs> that burns everything, like all your possessions. You grab the most important, yeah. your family and but, several yeah. books, maybe the Bible, some of these and, favorite dresses and, and the here. Yeah, the worst part, you can't, you can't take your, your friends with you. Uh, those who support you, those who, um, like, those who give you a feeling that you have a strong, uh, how you call it? A sense of belonging. Yeah, not a sense just of sense of love. belonging, like uh, uh, connection. Your, your inner Value. circle. Mm -hmm. your uh, <laughs> 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 oh, that have you back. Yeah. Your back. Those people who have, like, you know that if, if you are in trouble, they'll come and help you. Mm -hmm. And you move to the place where you know no one. Where you have no insurance, no stability, no support, no nothing. <coughs> you you rely on your on your own and uh, just God, if you believe in God and your luck or something. Okay. Yes. Question. Please. Why Winnipeg? <laughs> <laughs> well, there there were a few reasons. Um, first of all, uh, we could apply only for provincial program and it's Manitoba Provincial Program. Um, we came to Winnipeg for an uh, ex exploratory visit. Mm -hmm. So why Winnipeg? Yeah, uh, we were considering even smaller city like Steinberg. And Yellowknife. It, it was even before. <laughs> when we decided we have to move, uh, we just wanted to, to move somewhere, so we, we were even thinking about Yellowknife. But can I just quickly mention? Yeah, sure. So, economic immigrants, people who are not fleeing persecution and war, have a choice to apply through a yeah. federal program where you can choose any place in the country for 
for this um, program, you have to be uh, to meet a certain criteria. You have to be in the list of the most desirable professions. So if you are, for example, aerospace engineer, okay, you can come to Canada and settle anywhere you want. Manitoba has their own um, criteria. So, and it's really um, affordable. It's easy to come to Manitoba. Basically, a simple answer is easy to come here. And it is affordable, it is friendly, <laughs> and um, it yeah. was open. It, it gives you a window, two weeks a year, where you can write a letter. That's how it used to be. Now it's all different. It changes all the time. They also have family here as well. So they made this decision with Together your with sister. my sister. My yeah. sister also wanted to escape. Yeah, so they, they did, like, uh, they were not living here. They were living in Russia. So, so we moved together. You made the decision. Yeah. yeah. Um, we applied together on, on the same day, two big envelopes. And, and the reason why we stayed here, it's a really important reason. We, we found friends here. And it's... Uh, in Gateway Church, Church. <laughs> Sally, uh, her husband Lance, <laughs> they, yeah, they became Kathy. Kathy and other people from church. They became our friends basically from the first day. Like, Not just friends, family. Yeah, yeah. our Canadian family. Yeah. And it, it just определило uh, наше. Uh, determined. Yeah, determined our uh, All right. where, where we stay. Yeah. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, that's great. It's much better to do the questions, I think, in within this As rather than later because then you may not know what you want to say. So thanks for that. That's great. Um, so I think we got a little picture, but just briefly, can you tell me about the first six months that you were here? Some of the trials that you experienced, challenges. Um, it was uh, not just negative or just positive. It was up and down. But of course, when you move here, you have to find a job, a place to stay and um, your savings disappear very soon because uh, once we sold everything we had and converted into Canadian dollars, it was like, ooh! So it was really small. And um, savings were put in, in the bank. And as we were looking for a job and for a place to stay, we had to move around to get a car, to rent an apartment, to buy groceries and stuff. So we were taking those savings. So our condo that was paid out in Russia, it was like our major asset, was slowly disappearing. And we were eating our condo, that's what we were actually saying. And um, it was a time of very tumultuous time, both, that put a huge strain on our relationship as a couple, our relationship with a daughter. And uh, things are done differently here, so in terms of the job search, and um, yeah, it was a huge adjustment. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. sure. um, I would say that the first six months were not the worst months, okay. uh, like of, of the no. beginning of. So that's the honeymoon yeah. phase. Okay. Uh, partially, yeah. yeah. But then um, it got more difficult. Yes. Uh, the the I would say the first three months were great. Like we liked everything. And uh, we still had enough money on a bank account, and, yeah. uh, and we found friends, and we found great church, and we were so happy. And uh, and we came here prepared. Like I, I didn't have like false expectations that someone will come and give me a job. And you know, I I knew that we have to work hard. We have to do networking. We we knew it. We, we were prepared. 
but I wasn't quite prepared for the reality, how it came out. Uh, so um, there was a short, short story that um, that was a beginning for me to sp spiral yeah. down. Yeah. Okay. Tell um, us that story. Lance. My husband. Uh, yeah, Lance, Sally's husband, he introduced me to a few people in the church who worked in the same area as my expertise, uh, IT area, and um, like through those connections, uh, I got an invitation for interview. Um, and I came to the interview, and it was a great interview, and they, say, they said that they like me, and um, I need uh, just a few things to um, to fit to the position, and those few things were car that can like that I will use to um, take around my tools and the leather and stuff, <coughs> and um, um, Manitoba driver license uh, and uh, what else? A criminal check, this kind of stuff. So some paperwork, some spendings. And uh, and I say okay, so I um, got my license. It was easy, quite easy. But I still I paid for a few lessons to uh, to know how to drive here in Winnipeg. Uh, then I um, Eric, Kathy's husband. He he. Um, yeah, he helped uh, helped me with uh, his car, uh, giving me ride, like driving around with me and um, checking cars. And uh, we went to Steinbach and we bought our first car in Steinbach. Um, so I got everything, and I called them and I said I have everything. So I'm ready. I'm, I'm ready. Oh yeah, and background check everything. So I said I'm ready to start. They invited me for a second interview, and uh, after second interview, I haven't heard anything from them, and it was um, <coughs> very disappointing and stressful. And it was kind of first reality check because basically, yeah, in our culture, if you don't hear from someone. It means that you just dismiss the person, don't like you. You know, out of courtesy, people usually giving at least some feedback, and uh, there were no feedback, no call, no email. I tried to call them, no answer, and it was so frustrating. I was, I, I felt that they put me down. Like I get everything. I bought a car that I couldn't afford at that moment and you know I invested a lot and it was really really bad for me. That's good. Thanks Alex. All right so um, so how did just I, we only have a few minutes but can you tell me how things might have changed what was what was the biggest challenges through that time obviously I think employment mm -hmm. trying to understand expectations of bosses and whatnot yeah. or employers I should say anything else that you want to add to that? Just this general feeling that you do not belong here, 
as soon as you open your mouth and people hear, oh, you have an accent, um, what I experienced personally is this non-verbal non reaction. Um, okay, you look like Canadian maybe or whatever, but then when you start speaking, and something changes, and you can see immediately you do not belong. So very often I feel like I am a second-class, second-rate person. And uh, so this feeling, even I experienced it in the church. So, and this idea that I will never really belong here, and um, yeah, my child, maybe my grandchildren for sure, but not me, and it's a sacrifice. So, sorry, I didn't quite understand what you mean your child, me, your grandchildren. Maybe my children and grandchildren will truly become Canadians oh, and belong, yeah. Yeah. but not me. Yeah. So, and it intensified with every job, because at every job you have to fit in, you have to learn this workplace culture. And it's um, that's that was okay. Was quite difficult. Yeah. So uh, we know that we have we will have to prove ourselves all, all our life. Like, yeah. Yeah. To some degree, even with the credentials, because our credentials not fully recognized here. Okay. What kind of degree you have? It's more than bachelor's. A little bit less than master's. So what is that? And I cannot really explain. There is not such a word in English. So your credential is dismissed altogether. So little things like that, plus a huge marital strain we had, and maybe it looked like, oh, it looks like we're going to divorce. But Gateway Church, praise God. Um, yeah, we got yeah. through that. So you're, I think what I'm hearing is that the, the cultural adjustment, the sense of feeling like you can't get ahead, yeah. your emotional sense of rejection and Yeah, that's a good word, rejection. Um, affected your marriage, is that what you're saying? Oh, absolutely. Okay. I, I brought that out on purpose because I think that's one of the key things we need to remember is that when people are going through cultural adjustment, their key relationships are going to be affected. And one of the things we can do for them is give them the language to understand what they're going through and that they will get through it. Um, so if you see marriages or children or whatever struggling, um, very likely it's because they're going through that adjustment phase. And how can we come beside them and help them through that? May I add a little yeah, bit? Please. Little. Yep. Uh, so uh, the problem of unemployment, especially for men, mm -hmm. is a huge thing that mm -hmm. affects uh, marital uh, relationship. Right. Because men feels the, his fulfillment if he works and if he provides for, fa for family. So his self-esteem, uh, purpose in life, really related to his job. Mm -hmm. So after eight months without work, I felt like like uh, like nothing. Like I, I don't, I do nothing for my family. And Ira was working at that time, and I was doing nothing. I was. Going to uh, part-time jobs, odd jobs. Yeah, like there, uh, painting, kind of renovating this kind of stuff, and um, yeah, I can I can do a lot with my hands. I can I, I have a as Ira said, a little bit higher than bachelor, a little bit lower than master degree, and um, but I, I I wasn't able to find job, and I had lots of interviews and. Yeah. Smart, intelligent, not lazy, by all means. Educated, willing to work. And I was, I was willing to do everything, like yeah. any kind of odd job. So, so I want to, because we've only got a few minutes left. I want them to hear where you're at now. How you? I know that Ira, you had several job changes along the way. Mm -hmm. 
You both have now come into a different season. Can you tell us a bit where things are at now after four years? Okay, sure. Um, so because of the rejection and the self-esteem thing, uh, immigrants don't feel confidence, and very often they apply below their abilities and aptitudes. So I applied at all kinds of jobs. I cut sausage in Safeway, and I um, cleaned uh, office, my own office where I was a receptionist. <coughs> And where else did I work? I worked in Great West Life, processing claims, um, where you just sit and not talk for nine months. You just get the papers, put it in the system, you get your money in your bank account. And you were not allowed to speak about 150 people on the floor. Maybe you worked in Great West Life. Nightmare. So <laughs> <laughs> later, um, I, I just I went back to my degree, and I don't know what happened. I guess Gateway Church and wonderful people, um, and other wonderful people have amazing ability to encourage immigrants. And um, and God gave you a dream. And God gave me a dream because of the Hearing God seminar and set wow. free retreats, and because God gave me a specific dream. With instructions, what to do? Instructions. <laughs> Enough of this. Go back to your degree. You're a linguist. You're a philologist, so you should use it for the benefit of other newcomers. Go take this little course. So I had a dream. I had the dates. I had the university name. I went online. It was all there. So Hearing God seminar is the best. Everybody should go. <laughs> And then um, I got my certificate on top of my degree and I started a job as an ESL teacher for refugees and newcomers. So I have been happily employed in a newcomer serving organization, teaching English, giving encouragement and support to newcomers, economic immigrants, refugees, and uh, yeah, okay. it's called Mosaic. Uh, okay, good. And I know that Alex has also finally kind of landed where you yeah. need to be in your career, at least yeah, for now. Yeah, I, I uh, completely changed my area of expertise. Um, as I said, I tried many odd jobs. I was part-time uh, part employed in IT uh, area mm -hmm. for nine months in downtown for a really low uh, wage. and. Um, and it wasn't enough, so um, my great mentor, Tony, who is home now, uh, he told me, go and get whatever there is on the market. Like, don't wait uh, until the day when you find the perfect job. Like, go and get something. And um, God turned it this way that uh, someone called someone and uh, I started to work climbing cellular towers <laughs> as a rigger, and I worked there for three months. Okay, um, so in a nutshell, I finished that job. It was exciting, dangerous, um, was unemployed again for a couple months, worked as a um, carpenter a few months with another guy from our church, Alf, and uh, then he, like uh, that project that we did with him uh, was done. I was unemployed again, and he called me one day, and it was right. I, I was sitting and praying. And I said, "God, enough is enough. I, it's, I can't handle it anymore. It's like too much for me. I, I need job, real one." And that day, few minutes later, after my this uh, desperate prayer, desperate filled with audacity prayer, uh, I got a call and. Uh, 
he said, my brother ha has a, um, an opportunity for you. So now I work as a building manager or maintenance worker or, uh, you know, building operator. And uh, yeah, I'm a full-time employee. Good. Excellent. So they've come through this, the worst parts of the yes. culture shock, I'm going to assume. And I know there's been some good victories in your life. You've got half a minute to tell me, what are those great victories in the last couple of years, that, things that you've accomplished that seem so far away at first? Okay, a couple of seconds. All glory be to God. Yeah. Um, he just brought us through. We, um, our relationship is much better than before because of Tony and Heather Grande who really invested because you connected us. So basically it's the church who gave us all these connections. So all glory to God. Through hearing God's seminar and set free retreats and friendships and counseling and all the support, we got our jobs, we got our relationship back, our daughter goes to the school. So I don't know how people without the church survive. Yes, exactly. How newcomers survive just, uh, in, I mean, emotionally. That's all. Glory to God and uh, to Gateway Church and you people are the best and never ever underestimate what your kind words, your advice. If when you invite newcomer for coffee to your house, it's important. Never underestimate. It can. It's huge. It's huge. It's the most important. What you can do. It seems very little, but it made a huge difference for our lives. It basically can save marriages. It can save even lives, because. People Immigrants get suicidal. are having yeah. suicidal thoughts. Yes, we have experienced that. Yeah. So you're so saying that friendship is one of the most important connections. Exactly. And remember one quote. <laughs> yeah, proximity and activity doesn't mean connectivity. You can have programs. You can have. You can be close to people, and you can have some sort of activity with these people. But if you don't really connect, if it, it just goes. So. Yeah. All right, and I was fishing when I asked this question, but that's okay. But there's okay. a big thing that happened in your life in the last year. What was that? Oh, we became Canadian citizens. That's Yeah. So the marriage is better. You got your citizenship. Yeah. You bought a house. Your daughter's doing well, much better. She. Oh yes. And we so voted already two times. We voted twice and already. And they voted. <laughs> <laughs> Once advanced polls open, yeah. we just go straight yeah. to advanced polls, like number one. Yes. We are so excited to vote. We love this country, this culture, this church. And this is what I have seen over many years working with um, immigrants: is that that fr that that honeymoon phase, then the the conflict and. Adjustment. adjustment, it's really, really difficult. Then the adjustment phase where things start to get a little bit easier. And then when you get to really a point where we call it here, there's different names for these things, the adaptation. And I would say that you're probably at the adaptation stage, but sometimes things might trigger you back to a different stage. And that is a normal part of the process too. So you might think, oh, I'm really thriving here. I'm doing well. I know where to go. Everything's good. And then something will throw you and you're not sure how to respond. You get really fatigued and then you're feeling the same old feelings. Is that fair? Oh, that's, that's precisely true. All right, so they have really been through what we call cultural adjustment and will, to some degree, probably continue to feel that for the rest of their lives, to some degree. Yeah, honestly, My father's yeah. been in Canada, what, 50 years? And, and there are still things that he's surprised about in, in Canada. So, all right, so I, uh, we skipped through all this. I want you to give me no more than two minutes 
you've told us friendship is the most important thing we can do. What else can we do better as a church, as churches or as Christians, to come alongside immigrants? Let me be really honest with you. Uh, if you can treat immigrants like equal people, that would be the best. And it doesn't just, not in your superficial demeanor, but really deep in the heart. That's, I, I really gave it a lot of thought. But several people who treated us as equal. So the opposite would be dismissive, condescending, patronizing, pity. We don't really need that. So to feel like equal, that really helps us to belong. That's great. And I think that's why we wanted to have this, because um, it, how do you balance that one, right? You want to come alongside somebody, but you don't want to be patronizing. And that's why understanding the story of the immigrant, what they left behind, what they gave up, will probably help all of us to do a better job at, at finding that balance of helping but not being condescending. Yeah, and, and especially for people whose English is much lower, don't judge their intellect by their verbal abilities. People don't have degrees like I do in linguistics, so they may sound really dumb, yeah. but that's not the measure of their intellect and their intelligence and the depth of these people as a person. So, and I just noticed it many times when a person would start speaking really fumbling and mumbling, and okay, you're probably, so it's just the attitude changes, but that's, that's not true. In their first language, they're pretty eloquent and educated and have a lot to contribute, but in this context, they cannot. So that's what I see in my classroom with my students who I teach now. So half of my work is to give them a lot of encouragement and support. Yeah, yeah. hope. And hope. Hope yeah. is the most important thing that yes. which you can find we in Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. So we yeah. need to do that. 